0: Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Events Podcast. You are listening to Session 8 of our Mythbusters series titled, Church? Just a Bunch of Hypocrites, recorded live on May 30th, 2018. For more information about Ablaze Church, please visit our website at ablazechurchba.org.
1: Welcome to the final session of Mythbusters. This is number 8. And in uh, tonight's session, we're going to be talking about the church The myth is that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites, and we're going to uh, explode that myth. So I'd like to ask you to pray with me as we begin. Our dear Heavenly Father, you are the one who has created the church, the bride of of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you call us and you invite us and you draw us into your church, into that body, the body of believers. Lord, as we study tonight, we pray that you would give us new insight that you would help us to understand, appreciate, and celebrate that uh, which, which you have made your church. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. So, we're going to be exploring today what the Bible tells us about the church. First, the question Are there hypocrites in the church? Yes, every one of us. Everyone. Okay, <laughs> there are lots of them, aren't there? Right, too many? If you think they're too, don't worry about it, you, you know, one more, come on in. We can still use one more. So uh, have you ever run into someone saying, well, I don't, I, I'm not going to be part of a church because there are just too many hypocrites. Have you ever heard that one? Oh Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, and have you ever seen a hypocrite in the church? Okay, well, you're looking at one because uh, do I, the question I ask is, do I live up to everything that I believe in? Uh, and I would say it not every day, not all the time. Define a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a play actor. Actually, that word hypocrite comes out of a Greek language, and it puts two words together. That means putting a, a mask in front of your face, like the actors did. So that's what a hypocrite is, a mask in front of the face. And uh, so to pretend that you are a Christian when you are not. Now... But let's get this straight, too. Uh, no Christian is perfect. No Christian lives up to what it is that we say and we, that we truly do believe. We all have lapses. We all sin. Uh, why do churches have confession of sins? Because there are sinners in the church, of which all of us are. We're all sinners. And we don't live up to what it is that we believe, but to pretend to say, uh, okay, you're just pretending to be a Christian, that would be an out-and-out out hypocrite, yes, but, and not being one. Now, why would a person want to do that? Be part of a church and not have the faith, not believe it, not want to live it? Maybe they, they do it for they, because there's some social pressure. Maybe it's, it's a family thing. Uh, maybe they figure they're going to... Uh, advance somewhat uh, in in the world because you have a lot of contacts, increases your networks. But uh, these these days especially, I don't think that people who don't believe it are, are that interested in being part of it. Uh, there's a lot of, um, let's say, interest in what's going on in Christianity these days. There was an article not that long ago, actually uh, almost a year ago, in uh, the Tulsa world, and it's uh, tracking spiritual views. There, is a, uh, there are several research organizations that look at what are the um, uh, attitudes, uh, where are things going in terms of spirituality. Uh, churches, in general, do not, the, the number of people attending churches does not seem to be growing. Uh, it seems to be diminishing the number of people that say, Um, let's say, ask, what is your religious preference? And they check the box that says none. That's increasing. The number of people who say that they regularly attend church and uh, participate in it. Uh, But on the other hand, there are still a very, very large number of people who have a sense of spirituality. They want spirituality. Now, the problem with that is wanting it on your own terms as opposed to God's terms. Because if God is, if God exists, and he has done something and still does something, we have to find out what it is that he wants. But we're also in an age where people more and more are going after what I want, what pleases me, what I think, what I feel. And you know, Pastor Dreyer's uh, little thing, standing out here says, I think or I feel, and then here... But the Bible says. So, we are going to be talking about what it is that the Bible says. And uh, the Bible says, number one, that the church is important, that the church is a creation of God, it is His intention. And uh, again, there are people who want to have spirituality, but don't necessarily want to have the church. Or say, well, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in the church. What's wrong with that statement? You, can't have one the other. you really can't, but they're trying to. They're saying, I I, do, I think I can have one without the other. Uh, I can, I, that's my choice to make, not yours. Okay, okay watch it on TV. So, I, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. I think Jesus is cool. I think the church is not. Now, what does the Bible, what of the different things that the Bible uses to, to refer to the church, the one that in this context means a lot to me is that the church is the bride of Christ. And we're going to unpack that in a few minutes. Now, if the church is the bride of Christ, so I like Jesus, I just don't like his wife. I just don't like Mrs. Jesus. And I say, you know what? If you like me, you're going to at least have to, you know, uh, like my wife, and uh, and if you're going to be if you're going to trash my wife, you are trashing me, and I'm not going to stand for that. So uh, Jesus really doesn't like it when we badmouth his wife, his bride, the church. Okay, so we see that there are hypocrites in the church. If you're following the outline, uh, I checked true. There are hypocrites in the church. Now. What do you have in any, let's say, any typical Sunday morning? You're going to have maybe three groups of people. I say maybe. You're going to have believers, unbelievers, make believers. Uh, let's, let's hope that almost all of them are believers. But uh, on the external part of the church, it's a mixed bag. You're going to have people who are sincerely, absolutely believers they are sold out to Jesus. They love Jesus. They know Jesus loves them. And there are people that kind of don't really get it yet. Uh, and, and by the way, the best place for a hypocrite on a Sunday morning or Saturday night would be? Yeah, in church. Uh, you know, welcome. Come on in <laughs> as many as possible. Point yes, two, two guys Anna got Blaise. their hands up. Now, this is again, what? What?
0: You said the best place for
1: people to be, and I'm saying at. oh, oh, at a blaze, yeah, at church, at a blaze, good, and yes, and I have
0: never seen an adult
1: asleep in this church. Never. You haven't? No. Ooh. Well. It? Oh. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Bobby. I had this horrible dream one time. I dreamed that I was preaching. When I woke up, I realized I was. <laughs> Now, you're talking about... <laughs> Thank you for giving me an opening.
0: I appreciate that. But I am mean, trying to... slept through that sermon. <laughs> yes. But I really believe, I don't think... I mean,
1: that, that's a pat on the back of you and Pastor Tim. Well, they like listening oh, to you. Well, we, just, we, we try to make sure you never know what's going to happen next, and so you want to stay awake, you know, because you might be caught by surprise. <laughs> so that's why I'm so surprised. Okay. So, questions. Two questions. What is the church? Which leads to who is the church? In fact, it's probably more important to ask the question, who is the church? But let's look at that. What is the church? The church is, and that's on your notes, the whole number of true believers, true believers in Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ to be a part of the church. Now, you could have membership and externally be part of a congregation, but that does not make you to be part of the church as, uh, uh, as it is defined and we see it in the Bible. The next part it says the church is the assembly and fellowship of such believers. So every believer is a fellow believer. There is no such thing as a lone believer, a lone ranger. You are always uh, in relationship. That is why, for example, uh, church on TV, uh, internet, uh, church, uh, is, is not fulfilling. It, it isn't the real, quite the real thing. You can learn of Jesus. You can become saved but you really do not get the sense of being part of the church, the body of Christ. So let's go through a couple of descriptions that we have in the Bible. The first one is, uh, and and turn with me to Ephesians 4.4, it's a body, the body of Christ. And by the way, if there's a body, is there a head on the body? Who's the head? Yay. Yeah remember one time I was in, in my church office and uh, there was a knock on the door and there was a little kid who had come from out, out of the neighborhood and he's looking up and he says, uh, mister, can you tell me who owns this church? <laughs> I said, well, Jesus does. No, I mean, you know, you would to know who was the, <laughs> who's the head guy? Jesus is. Oh, Anyway, I thought it was kind of cute, and it gave me a chance to uh, make a certain point. Ephesians 4, 4, page 1243, verse 4, there is one, the word is body, body, one body. And uh, when we look in 1 Corinthians 12, that'll unpack a little bit more. One body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, or over all, through all, and in all. This is a description of the church, that one single body, where, and it has a head. Now we're going to slip back to 1 Corinthians in the 12th chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start at verse 9, page 12, I mean 13. I'm sorry, twelve nineteen. I was looking one space down there. Okay, First uh, Corinthians twelve, twelve to fourteen, and um, page twelve nineteen. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the are and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And then it goes on to give a little anatomical description, you know, the foot saying, I don't need you, says it to this other body part. Yeah, but we all need each other. Is there any part of the body that is not useful? Every part of the body is useful. And it's why you want every part of the body to be healthy. So it is, this is probably the most profound descriptive term that you have of the church. It is the body of Christ. But he's the head. He's the head. Another one we have is that the church is the bride of Christ. And for there we go to the back of the book, Revelation we're going to go first in 21, 9, where it is described, uh, the church is described as the bride. And um, 21, verse 9. Okay. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Now this is the part Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. We're the bride. He's, he is the husband. He uh, is the head of the whole deal. We are his bride, cherished, loved, protected, uh, everything possible. And then turn another page, page 1328, uh, uh, and that's 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, here's the bride again. Spirit and the bride say come. Now, it's kind of interesting if you look at this from the standpoint of how they did marriage back in the first century. In fact, a a lot of uh, ancient civilizations did it in somewhat the same way. You would have, uh, uh, okay, they didn't meet each other on the Internet. In fact, they may not have met each other before they were even uh, betrothed. But the two families, okay, there's a young man, there's a young woman. Huh, let's make an arrangement. They need to uh, come together. I remember um, uh, there were these two sisters were members of the congregation they were serving, and they were from India. The uh, uh, the older one fell in love with this guy, college uh, classmate, and she uh, and he proposed to her, and she was really very inclined to marry him. But she came in, pastor. Uh, I don't know what to do because. I think my family wants us to have a traditional marriage, but on the other hand, they say that I can do, I'm free to do as I wish, but uh, you think it's really right for me to do this? And uh, so there are the two of them sitting there, and he's saying, you know, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, please, please, please. (laughs) And uh, so we had a long conversation. She decided that it would be okay uh, without the family making the arrangement. Now, she had a younger sister who decided she wanted the family to make the arrangement, and, uh, and you know what? That worked out extremely well. Sajiv became uh, the husband, uh, a really, really you know fine Christian man, and uh, and they're doing exceedingly well. Okay, so the the marriages were arranged. Okay, the family of the bride, family of the groom. There would be uh, some exchange of um, gifts and goods and things like that. And then there also had to be a dowry, all, all those kinds of things. Now, at the, at the moment when they uh, entered into the contract to marry, they called that the betrothal. And that meant they were, at this point, legally bound to each other. It's not quite like an engagement. An engagement is a promise to marry, but it is not a legally binding thing. Uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you want to break an engagement, just give the ring back. Uh, that's all you got to do. But uh, with the betrothal, you would have to have a divorce in order to break that betrothal. So what would happen, the bride was busy getting herself all ready. And uh, her not only her trousseau, but everything that she would need to, be, uh, you know, to run a household, the husband to be the betrothed, Guy, he would be getting a home ready. He'd be building the house or getting it ready, and making sure that he had sufficient funds so that uh, the family could be supported. And then, um, when the time came for the marriage, there would be there would be a big celebration. The word would go out that the the bridegroom is coming. The bride better be ready and sometimes might even be in the middle of the night, and he'd be coming with his entourage. She'd be coming with his, her entourage. They would meet, and then they would have a celebration which would last at least three days. And like in, at uh, Cana in Galilee, they might even run out of wine. But it was a, uh, a, big, uh, a big celebration. Everybody in the community was uh, to be part of it. And even though Mary, Jesus, and the disciples Were some distance, lived some distance away from Canaan. They were invited and they came to that uh, wedding too. And it would be at that point, only at that point, where the consummation of the marriage would take place. Now, there is a description in the Bible about Jesus is the bridegroom. He's getting ready, he's preparing a place. And when that place is ready, he's going to call his bride. And say, so everybody be ready because you don't know exactly when it's going to be because, you see, it was not set. Uh, the, the date was not exactly set. It's going to be, and here are some indications of when it might be coming, and this has got to happen, that's got to happen, that's got to happen. And uh, you have some of those things in the Bible. Uh, so do we know the exact day when Jesus is coming back to take his bride? We don't know. no. Not even the angels know, can you imagine there's Gabriel up there and he's got his horn and he's been ready for a long time, you know now, now, you know shall I blow it now and um, so when it happens, uh, that will be then the the great the great wedding feast and, that, and the book of revelation speaks about the second coming and a great wedding feast, so the church is that bride that is being prepared. What was the bride doing? She was preparing herself uh, because she knew it's going to be happening. So if the church is not preparing for the coming of Jesus, if the church is like, uh, you know, being rather lackadaisical, not making itself more beautiful and attractive to the groom, uh, it's not a good deal. Okay, bride of Christ. And Ephesians 5 also speaks about that. Let's run to Ephesians 5, just because we can do it. Galatians, Ephesians 5, page 1245. 1245. Okay. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words so that he might present to the church to himself, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So uh, the church, she's preparing herself, and Jesus, the bridegroom, is also, you know, in, involved in that process with us. Yes
0: note on this, like when I was at work, one of the biggest questions I ever got from other people who were non-Christians is, what's this whole submit to each other stuff? And this is the passage I would go to. Uh I would tell people that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And they're like, it means that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, see, it talks, if you look before this whole section starts in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So each member of the, of the wedding party has a way of submitting because you see, what you're giving up, you are giving up your independence and becoming interdependent. You're giving up the selfishness of and, and your autonomy to achieve something that you cannot achieve if you insist upon your autonomy. You see, we're uh, to be achieving oneness. Why? Why? Well, because the marriage relationship is supposed to mirror the relationship between Christ and His church. You see, the one great big witness we have in the world is when Christian couples, Christian husband and wife, love and serve and submit to one another and form that that bond, that is a witness to the world that says Jesus Christ loves His church. Just look at that. Right there is audiovisual. Look at that, and you will see what the relationship is between Christ and his bride, his body, the church. Oh. Also, okay, if it's submitting to one another, each one kind of submits something that's uh, challenging. <laughs> okay? To love your wife as yourself. Hmm. All right, now how do you love your wife as yourself? I'm, I'm kicked back. I'm sitting in my recliner, And uh, all I'm thinking is, uh, "Mm, you know, um, uh, I'm enjoying this game. Um, I'm relaxing, and then she says, "Honey, could you come here for a moment?" All right. Now, when she says that, what does she think I am? Who does she think she is? No, this is dying for yourself. You see. And there are there's many a moment. My wife. Okay. I said, "How come you're so quiet?" She says. Have you no respect for the dead? I have to die to myself right now, you know. So I, you know, I did something that wasn't really very pleasing to her. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a give and a, and, and a receive. It's but it, it's it's based in the idea that the mature Christian life means we're no longer autonomous. We are there to serve one another. God wants to bless my wife through me, and by golly, He has blessed me through her. Many times, yes. Chuck.
0: I was say, at our house, you know, it says, love your wife as yourself. At our house, we haven't figured out. My wife gets the channel changer.
1: I don't. You, your wife what?
0: She gets the channel changer.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, she gets the channel changer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, you really need to have two of them if that's the case. Yeah. But, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, in our house, she'll say, uh, "Would you would you check, uh, you know, the channel and see once if there's a such and such on, you know, right in the middle of something?" Okay, now, uh, very happily, I have to say, sure. Okay, <laughs> all right. Now, now think of the relationship between Christ and His Church. Now, it is also called the people of God. Still in the New Testament, First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. Okay, that comes after Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, page 1294. Look at verse 9. But you are, and this is plural. It doesn't reflect it in the English as well. In the Greek, you you could tell whether it's singular or plural, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That's God's own people. God's own possession. God's people, that you may proclaim the the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So were designated as the people of God. Back in the Old Testament, the Jews referred to themselves and God referred to them in the same way as the people of God. They're the people of God. Who are the people of God? The Jews. And now, it says, who are the people of God? We are the new Israel. We are the people of God. We are the chosen ones of God. We belong to Him. And that's an identity issue. So church is an identity issue. Who, not only who am I, but whose am I when I know whose I am, then I can understand who I am.
0: Yes, yeah. So chosen, I mean in the context here, it really means we were chosen to demonstrate to the rest of the world how we should relate to and behave. Exactly.
1: Well, you're right it's on not the mark.
0: That we're special. It's that we were given you know basically the task saying, you know what? you're going to be chosen? You're chosen to demonstrate how to love God and how to live your, live a godly life.
1: I pick you. You are my chosen people to do this, to carry out this mission. It's not that God didn't care about the rest of the world, but because he cared about the rest of the world, he gave his people a mission to let the light out so that everybody in the world could see it. That was the whole purpose. Yeah. So, are are we doing a good job of that? Well, pray God that we learn to do even better. Yeah. Anytime we're doing a good job, you know, hooray. But we need to be doing it even better. Good point, Chuck. What about communion of saints? Well, you know the Apostles' Creed, the communion of saints. Who are saints? Yeah. Again, we have to follow what the Bible says, okay, Paul writes to the saints that are in Ephesus, to the saints that are in Corinth, who are saints. The word means holy people. Who are holy people? The ones who are declared holy and righteous by faith, you know, through the grace of God received by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. So by grace, the grace of God, faith that trusts that grace of God and the promise of God, that then... uh, makes us to be saints. We are holy. Now, there are uh, living saints, and there are saints that are already in glory. Uh, The book of Revelation speaks about the saints that are already there, and the saints in glory. So I could say, uh, I know St. John, and I know St. Catherine. Those are my parents' names, first names. Okay? They're in heaven. So, uh, they are already there. They are... Uh, they are experience the fullness of their sainthood. We are experiencing it already through the forgiveness of sins. That makes us to be holy. And we are then called to live holy, set apart lives. Okay, communion means a fellowship. You see the word common in there? Communion. Commune. Communion being you know, drawn together into a fellowship, into a oneness. Then we find. Um, uh, let's go down to the church, is A priesthood, and that's still back in First Peter two nine, a royal priesthood. If you remember, right where we were chosen race, a royal priesthood. What what was the priesthood? Look at the Old Testament. Think of the Old Testament. Who were the priests? What were they supposed to do? Serve God. Serve in the temple. Okay? service of God. Serving in the temple. They were set apart for something, weren't they? You know what? They were kind of a, and they were sort of a connecting point between God and people. They represented God to the people, and they represented the people to God. So that's what the priesthood did. Essentially, those two things, you know, they were servants of God. God to the people, representing the people to God. It went both ways, and that's what they did. Now, who is the ultimate priest then? Jesus is the ultimate priest, isn't he? And, you know, the priests offered sacrifices, don't they? And so they offered the sacrifice, Jesus offered the sacrifice of his body and his blood to atone for all of our sins. So he is the ultimate priest, the great high priest, and we are then made to be the priesthood. We are the priesthood. Now, we have certain people that we call and set apart to represent uh, that priesthood in some kind of a special way, what we call the uh, the ministry, the holy ministry or the pastoral ministry. Um and we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, the church is also a nation, holy nation. That's also in First Peter 2, 9, a holy nation. Like God said of Israel, you're my holy nation, a holy nation. Wow. Now, we live in a, in a pretty corrupt nation. We live in a very corrupt world. There isn't any nation I know that's real holy. But we are a nation within a nation, aren't we? Uh, we are set apart and holy God's chosen, which we have already talked about, and then citizens of heaven. let's go to Ephesians 2 nineteen page twelve forty two two nineteen So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to figure out where I've got that. uh, Citizens of heaven, the household of God. Well, we'll figure it's in there somewhere. Okay. Um, In the NIV, is that where it is? A different translation. Okay. Uh, So, the citizens of heaven, and then let's go to the next point. When we say the Nicene Creed, we make these four uh, affirmations about the church, that it is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Um, Okay, one, how many churches are there that God recognizes? Just one. Who's in that church? Who's a member of that church? All the true believers in Jesus Christ are in that church. So, uh, which denomination then do you have to belong to? Okay, you have to belong to Jesus. All right. So, denominations are are just a kind of a handy thing, but you know, with uh, there there are pluses and minuses about it. Okay, is the church holy? Yeah. But at the same time, is the church perfect? No. no. When, you, when you found a blaze, you said, I have found the perfect church. Right? Well, we're not. <laughs> as long as I'm in it, <laughs> we're not. Okay. Um, so the, the, the church that is perfect is, is the church that is purchased as the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that is holy, but it's unholy some, and quite imperfect And though we say the church is one, you see fragments all over the place. Uh, A lot of uh, big arguments. And by the way, in the ecumenical movement, every time that two large denominations merge and become one, they say, hooray, we have achieved oneness in the ecumenical movement. Now that almost always gives rise to about six more smaller denominations. Okay, there. I guess there are reasons for that. Then uh, the word Catholic. What does the word Catholic mean? Now, notice it has lowercase c. And um, in, um, in some European traditions in the Lutheran churches, uh, well, actually in some European traditions even before the Reformation, that instead of the word Catholic, they just used the word Christian. And so at the time of the Reformation, uh, they just simply continued use, using what was there, but it's it's absolutely correct to use the word Catholic because that is in the original language, Catholica. And that comes out of Greek mean, meaning whole, one whole, uh, uh, altogether w- one whole church. So universal would be a, a way to express it, universal. Now, last Sunday was... Trinity Sunday on the church calendar a lot of churches uh, will use uh, a third creed that you do not hear very often at the most once a year and that's called the Athanasian Creed it has 44 articles it's pretty long well uh, I I love it but uh, last Sunday I, I was in our Savior in Tulsa as Pastor Dreyer was out here he got he he picked an easier creed in here and he picked that one in there so that we went through the whole yeah <laughs> you were there <laughs> all 44 articles of the creed but it's a it's a beautiful it uses the word catholic in there you know that to be saved you must adhere to the catholic faith and the catholic faith is this we worship the trinity in unity and the unity in trinity meaning the whole one whole church there are uh, three creeds, by the way, that we call the ecumenical creeds, and that is all true Christian bodies adhere to uh, these creeds. Now, there are some churches, some bodies that are non creedal that say they don't use creeds. Now, in your in your Baptist background, probably you didn't hear the creeds very often. Now. Yeah. Now, it's not that uh, Baptist churches disagree with anything in the creeds or say the creeds are bad. It's just they're, they're kind of the, the style is more non-creedal. Now, another group, the, the Church of Christ, they are anti-creedal, and they say creeds are wrong because they, creeds are made by man, and only the you only use the New Testament. But you know, it it pulls. It, it, it pulls together in a short fashion what it is that is the essence of what what we believe and who is God, and it's a, it's a really a handy way to uh, to do it. Nicene Creed says one holy Catholic, and then the last word is apostolic, and that is it relies upon the scriptures of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, which is an accurate uh, description of the teaching of Jesus Christ. So, Paul was an apostle. He wrote some parts of the Bible. John was an apostle. He wrote some parts of the Bible. Peter was an apostle. He wrote some parts of the Bible. So, the 12 apostles taught what Jesus taught. And so, when we say apostolic, it is based on that Uh, that faith that is passed on down through the apostles. Some churches take that uh, very seriously in that uh, a person cannot be ordained into the ministry uh, unless they can trace their ordination through the apostles, called the apostolic succession. And uh, for a time in the church, that was a fairly important thing. It is not... Uh, it, uh, Protestants in general don't don't follow that uh, very carefully. If the Anglican or Episcopalian bodies do, uh, some Lutheran uh, bodies do, like in Sweden, Norway, and so forth. But uh, Apostolic really refers to the teaching that the apostles taught. Okay, so the one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church is fragmented. Messed up, imperfect, and if you turn to the other side, uh, that little graphic there says, Messy Church. There's a book with that title, Messy Church. It says, you know, don't worry about uh, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and, and making and, and control over everything uh, when, you, when you let the Holy Spirit do his work. Sometimes it's just a little bit messy because we're messy people, you yeah, know, kind of that way. Now there is a the visible church, the church that you see, like uh, denominations, visible. You say, okay, they're part of the the visible church, the external. But the invisible church is what God sees and we don't necessarily see. He knows who's in the church and who isn't. He knows who's a hypocrite, who knows who's a make believer, unbeliever, true believer. He knows. So uh, do I have the job of making judgments on uh, who is true and who isn't? No. Well, don't a few hypocrites get in? Yeah, but I can't imagine a better place for them to be. Uh, So the visible and invisible, but it's a mixed bag, but the invisible church is only composed of authentic believers, Now we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles, or we might refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.42. Okay. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the day that the Holy Spirit created the church. He filled these disciples with the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up and he preached to that great multitude out there and uh, told them what was going on and that this is the fulfillment of a promise and that it is the culmination of everything that Jesus came to this earth to do to save humankind. And these people then repented. They were baptized, 3,000 of them that day. And so what did they do after that? See, verse 41 says, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, what did they do? They devoted themselves to this, the apostles' teaching. Oh, remember, one holy Catholic apostolic, the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship, oh, the communion of saints, right? The fellowship of the saints together. The breaking of bread. What's the breaking of bread? Holy communion. Yeah. That that just came right away. The, holy, uh, the breaking of bread. And then what else? The prayers. They prayed with each other, for each other. Uh, they were very much a people of prayer. And again, when you look through the book of Acts, you see incredible examples of prayer. These people, you know, uh, and, and God answering those prayers and God doing miracles. Um, well, Don, you know about a um, uh, a prayer request that went out this week about a young man, uh, Marine? Yeah. And uh, drowned. The boat boat accident something fell, drowned. Okay. They didn't know how long his heart had stopped. They didn't know how long, but unresponsive. So the first thing they do is they Depress the the temperature so his body temperatures go way 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 down, uh, and want to make sure there's no brain swelling because they have no idea, yeah. uh, not uh, not much of a chance he's going to make it. So the the word gets out, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. Well, uh, so it was uh, today. Then they began raising the temperature, and then. Uh, Taking the the medication off for the induced coma, and a report earlier in the day he 's begun to move he 's taken a few breaths on his own without the ventilator. Uh, the last one said he was eating, smiling, uh, or drinking drinking from a straw, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and responsive i mean this is a this is a Lazarus you know up from the grave uh, kind of a thing this was because there were people who were praying. Could God have done it without people praying? But isn't God cool? I mean, he, he does it through our prayer. So we can, he says, you know what? I want you to be participants in, in this whole thing. Pray, pray. And God calls his people to prayer. So these were a people of prayer. Uh, and do you think they prayed with the idea like, well, oh, maybe, I hope God does, maybe he might do something. They expected God to answer the prayers. God would hear. God would answer, and do uh, great things.
0: After that was this week, yes. Where yeah. I, where was I? Over the weekend, yeah. Was it here and yeah? Taupau, well, I think he was on a float trip. A yeah. Trip. So I had an accident, drowned, and I, I saw the video of him talking. Moving, okay. And oh, good. His head up and now you know the family. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's
1: Lynette Patterson's sisters. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So some people, uh, uh, oh, Travis Patterson plays the bass sometimes. Kind of, you know, kind of a pleasant, happy, round-faced guy who loves and sometimes sings solo parts. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah, precious guy. Okay, his wife's sister's son. Yeah, because it didn't have names, but I said I bet that must be. Yeah, that's who it is. You know,
0: know, as you said, God could have done it irregardless or regardless of
1: the hospital's actions and everything else. Yeah. That's obvious. But again, I think it's so wonderful that God invites us to partake in asking Him to do something. Yeah, that's part of what it is to be the church. Uh, Pray with and for each other and Uh, request the prayer. Is there a a better support system in all the world than when the church is functioning in love and as it ought to function? There really is not any better support system. And I have seen great, incredible acts of generosity and kindness, self-sacrifice on the part of people toward others just because they love them. And why do we love them? Because in Christ we have such... A bond, such a bond. And when that bond is, you know, when, when that weakens or when it's uh, betrayed, it, it is, it's, it's a hard thing. You know? And again, sometimes it'll happen in the church. But God still has fi- the final word. So, what are those core activities? Okay? The apostles' teaching. Uh, we need to be, we need teaching in the church. Uh, it's very easy to get by just kind of on the, uh, the fluff. Uh, hey, Jesus loves you? Okay, cool. And, uh, and that, that's it. But there is so much in, in the Bible that is so faith-building and so enriching that uh, this, this teaching of what the apostles taught needs to be going on in the church today. The fellowship needs to be going on in the church today. From time to time, we do things like uh, small groups. And that's intentional to be uh, a level of fellowship in which people open up to each other, share their needs, their hearts, their faith, build each other up. There is a bond that begins to to work with that and... Uh, uh, during the during the first month of summer during june we 're going to be having this special thing at uh, it 's right at Battle Creek park uh, right next to my house and uh, because if the weather is bad or gets too hot we 'll just go inside or the mosquitoes are too bad uh, and there's a playground there we uh, we're going to eat and then we're going to have uh, we're, we're going to actually go into more depth in what the the series is on attitude, uh, Christian attitude during the month of June. So it's going to be a great chance to get to know and meet and fellowship with each other because we need the fellowship. Breaking of bread, Holy Communion. You've already had a whole section on Holy Communion. Why do we celebrate Holy Communion? Well, one of the reasons Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. And then the second reason really, which is maybe even equally as important, and that is that we receive such great benefit from it. The, the Holy Spirit's working and building our faith, uh, bringing to us the body and blood of Jesus to forgive our sins, make us new, strengthen us. Uh, and then it also, Holy Communion is not just me and Jesus, it's me and Jesus, and you and me, and all of us, and we are together here, we're, in, we're part of that covenant. And in the in the ancient days, when a covenant was there, and Jesus refers to the Holy Supper as, as a covenant, my covenant in his blood, that uh, the need of the one was the need of the other. The problem of the one was the problem of the other. Someone attacking, you lay down your life for the other. Uh, the goods of the one were considered to be the goods of the other. So you do not let the brother... Uh, or sister, with whom you have communion, you know, you don't let them starve, you don't let them go homeless, you don't let, you, you give generously of ourselves to them. These are part of the core activities in the church. Um, and then we find that um, awe came upon every soul, as verse 43, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And what is what is done, what is accomplished through the church not everything is let's say miraculous, though things can be, uh, even like you know the healing of this man is a i 'd say that, that is a miracle. Uh, the prayers uh, God answered, uh, but they also there the ability to just be so dedicated, be uh, in fellowship with each other, committed to one another, so forth and verse forty four all who believed were together and had all things in common, so the need of the one was the need of the other. There was a guy there talks in the next chapter his name or his name was uh Joseph of Cyprus. He had some land, he sold the land, he brought all that money to the feet of the apostles. Hey, just in case there are some poor people here, they gave him a nickname, called him Barnabas. You ever hear of saint Barnabas yeah his, he was uh, it means son of encouragement. Okay, so uh, verse 47, praising God, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the, one of the witnesses that we have to the world is how we are toward each other, and we need to be intentional to develop more and more of that. Now, uh, as, as you know, different churches will emphasize different things. And uh, in, in, let's say in one denomination, you may hear more about a certain thing than you hear in, in another denomination. Uh, but what would be the one issue on which, you say, the church stands or falls? What would be, you say, okay, this helps us to di- discern true church and not true church. If you could bring it down to one thing. Well,
0: it has to, I mean, satisfy the scriptures, the scriptures definition. No, yes.
1: Okay, give, give that, uh, I'm not sure the microphone picked that up. I didn't quite.
0: Well, I mean, it has to be scripturally based. Okay. Within the confines of the Bible.
1: All right, within the confines of the Bible. All right, now I know uh, there is a, a cult that says we do everything by the Bible. We believe the Bible is a wholly inspired, inerrant Word of God, and yet they teach something so completely different. You heard of Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? The, so, you know, this is not to badmouth that because they're they're not really a Christian denomination; they're a, a, a cult. As Pastor Dreyer talked about them uh, last week, okay? So, uh, let's let's continue to see if we can uh, pull out some more thoughts. What might be the stand or fall? Now, uh, Chuck, that is an absolutely essential point that you make, though, that it has to be based on the Word of God. It has to be based on the Bible, scripturally. It, it, the Scripture informs it, and the Scripture sets the boundaries. Okay, what else? The Holy Trinity. Again? The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity, Okay. That's core, isn't it? Core truth. And um, now, let's say within, within the understanding of the Holy Trinity, there would be a point that is of, of very critical importance, and that would be, you know, who is Jesus Christ? And what did Jesus Christ do? So, to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ... Would be the core, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Now, all of these are, you know, right there, you know, right, uh, and and they are core beliefs. Uh, But ultimately, it would stand and fall on do you uh, believe that you are saved by grace through faith on account of what Jesus Christ has done for us? The other, if you have that, the other parts are going to fall into place very nicely. Yeah. But great answers. Okay, so that's the, the key.
0: So, saved by grace is the issue.
1: Saved by grace, yeah, that's the issue we're, we're looking at here. Uh, it's very easy to get a little frustrated because people aren't behaving the way they're supposed to and, and say, well, but you have to also this, 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 and you don't dare do that. Okay, are you saved by obedience to the law? We're saved <laughs> from uh, the idea that we are saved by law. We are saved by grace. Okay. Now, the word church. You're going to hear that word used in a variety of ways. So let's think about the different ways, and common ways that the word church is used. Are we at church? Okay, that's referring to a building and location, right? Well, this doesn't look like church. This looks like an activity place for, the, for preschoolers. You know, you don't have to have stained glass. You don't have to have uh, all the paraphernalia. You know, I like stained glass. I like the paraphernalia. I like the statuary. I like the, uh, you know, ornate altars. I like the colors. I like all that stuff. I don't need it, though. I need Jesus. I can worship uh, in in this setting I have had profound moments of worship in here, just as, as beautiful as in the most beautiful of churches that I've seen anywhere in the world. And I've seen some incredible, incredible churches, you know, different places in the world. You walk in and you're like, I feel so insignificant, you know. Those, <laughs> they, they go way, way up there, and you feel, oh, my goodness. So, and I, and I like that. You know what I, I really like is where there is a sense of we're gathered together as God's people. We're worshiping the Lord. We're intent upon his word. The Holy Spirit is here and he's ministering. And I can get that here just as well as I can in a very, very uh, ornate kind of a building. All right. So that's one way. Building. Now, Oh what church are you going to? Well, we're going to blaze church. Oh, that is a a fellowship or co- local congregation, the body the local body of believers, local church, congregation, church. Yeah, First Presbyterian Church, First Baptist Church, First United Methodist Church, First Lutheran Church. Okay. Local congregations. Um, then denomination. Well, but what church is it? And then you 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 know you can identify a denomination. A, a denomination will tell you something about, a little bit about some of its style, some of its history, and uh, some of its uh, basic beliefs. So a, a denomination will, okay, you refer to it and say, oh, okay, uh, I know Presbyterians do this or believe that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I know Roman Catholics do this and believe that. Yeah, okay. So it, it when you refer to the denomination, they'll usually give you some kind of a clue about what may be going on there and what their uh, their beliefs are. Now, membership in the local church. Wow. Uh, The Bible talks about being members, one of another. And uh, typically when we come to the end of a class like this, we say, Uh, if you are not a member of a church or you're interested in being a member of this church, we would invite you and we would love for you to be uh, members of this church. Now, how is that done? It is by simply indicating, yes, uh, I want to be a part of this congregation. I want to make a commitment. I will be uh, supportive, loyal. I, I I have no great... Objection to its, uh, its uh, beliefs, as I have been taught. Uh, and um, I, I believe that, I, uh, that God would be calling me to this place for me and my family, and we can be nurtured in the Word of God. And one of, the, one of the things that we will make to anyone that becomes a member of this church, we make this commitment that we will teach you according to the Holy Scriptures. We will teach you according to the Word of God. We're not going to be giving you... When it's our opinion, we'll say, well, that's my opinion. But when it's God's opinion, we'll say, no, this is what God says. This is what's in, uh, what's in the Bible. And, uh, and we try to make it as, as clear as possible. We want to also have those activities in the church that build people up, that connect people in fellowship, that allow people also opportunities to grow and do more and more. Now, I've, uh, of the people in this room, I've known Kelly Klein the longest because I knew him when he was just a little toddler, basically. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he has—he he served the church uh, as a little kid. He served when he, and, and because his parents were so active in serving all the time, even when he didn't want to, he had to stay behind and help fix things up, especially on Christmas Eve those years. Oh, because we'd have to have three different have, have three services in a row. So who stayed behind and ran the vacuum and put everything back in order? Okay, there was Kelly and his mom and his dad. Kelly, come on, <laughs> do that. Um, and uh, so uh, serving in 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 the church. Uh, Chuck, I've known for a long time. After 1998. 1998 Easter, Easter Sunday. Sunday, first time you showed up in church, and. Uh, Yeah, and it was a a beautiful time. Okay, and he has served in a variety of capacities in the church, and now he's been drawn into a blaze church. Bobby, look at Bobby. What is he doing? A hundred and how many times now have you been hosting? 108. okay. This is, he is the the world's greatest host, welcomer, uh, and he puts on, and then guess who puts him on the schedule? That's Don Cook. Don Cook is also, he has taken special training, professional training, and is designated as a lay minister. So you will see him helping to lead the services, assisting with communion. He will be, he uh, on occasion preaches. Uh, Sometimes he preaches down uh, our Savior campus uh, and has preached here on occasion, Uh, has had that kind of special training. Why in the world did you do that? Okay, <laughs> yeah, so the, the point being that there are opportunities to serve and to grow, and guess who I saw serving coffee in the church basement at our Savior on Sunday morning? Ah, <laughs> there she is, okay, Gisette was serving, uh, okay opportunities to serve, opportunities to sacrificially give, opportunities to witness. Uh, What we want with every member that comes into the church is to help each one become everything that God wants them to be. So we're a new church. We're we're learning new things. We don't have all the things that a, a church that's been around Okay, the church I was serving in nineteen in the year two thousand twelve, we had our centennial. Uh, okay, so it had been around a long time. So there were a lot of things that were in place, some of which were difficult to get rid of, but <laughs> but they finally got rid of me. Okay, and I retired. <laughs> I was the longest serving pastor they'd ever had there. <laughs> the, the the story goes that. Uh, 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 after, uh, if, if if a pastor stayed five years, uh, they gave him a medal because they tried to make it really uncomfortable. But I I managed to tough it out there uh, 24 years as senior pastor, and uh, and then emeritus for a number of times to kind to help out while the new pastor was uh, who had been associate pastor with me there, and then just to kind of. Uh, and then get out of his hair because actually he's totally bald. So I had to <laughs> uh, enough rambling on about this. But I have some forms. If anybody here wants to fill out a form that makes that says, "Okay, I want to be," we want to be members of uh, of this congregation. And by the way, when when you commit to being a member of a blaze, then we'll we'll talk about. Uh, uh, a a public kind of acknowledgement of of the membership, uh, but um, yeah, if you fill that out and um, and then you uh, say yes, I we we want to commit to being a part of the body of believers in this place, or you know. Uh, but it also makes you a member of our Savior Lutheran at the same time, because we are we're, we are not an independently organized congregation uh, We exist under their uh, charter we exist under the uh, how they 're registered with the state of Oklahoma and uh, the nonprofit and all that sort of thing so we are uh, our uh, our bank account says Evangelical Lutheran Church of Our Savior, DBA, doing business as a blaze Church. So we are we are very connected. Uh, they have been incredibly supportive. You know they they carried out several campaigns to be able to buy the property, to be able to uh, get this this whole thing rolling. And uh, wow, they, they've been just absolutely phenomenal. And and Pastor Dreyer has been so instrumental is just uh, given so much impetus to to doing this. So, anyway, uh, Bobby, a question. well th- th- theoretically, yes, but well, we okay, what we do is we to uh, so anybody from our savior that comes out here, they say, "Hey, I'm I'm part of this too." I said, "Of course." And then we have people who are just regular participants. We have people who are occasional visitors. We have people who are, you know, who, who hold membership. Um, so sometime in in over the summer, I'm going to be talking more to some of the people that you know have started coming and are uh, okay. Are you ready to take that step where you formally hold membership? You are not if you if you hold or don't hold membership. Uh, we love you exactly the same, we want you to participate just as much uh, you are as much uh, you, know, you know, that we we care about and love you and and your families so uh, i 'll have some papers in case and, and, and bring them around but let's uh, let 's close with prayer, Father, we thank you so much for your church. Thank you that you've called us and brought us into your church to be members of the body of Christ, the family of God the holy nation, that royal priesthood. Lord, uh, we pray that your church will grow and flourish and that it will be a light to the world. May we be faithful witnesses sharing the love of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And that we pray in his most blessed name. Amen.